0: Welcome to The Athletics of Business,
1: a podcast about how the traits and behaviors of elite athletes and remarkable business leaders frequently intersect. The real stories and hard lessons to help you level up
0: your leadership and performance. Now your host, Ed Molitor. Welcome back to another episode of The Athletics of Business podcast. I am your host and CEO of The Molitor Group, Ed Molitor. And I'm excited to have you here because we have a really cool conversation for you today. Now, women in sports, as participants, fans, and consumers face inequities that demand new solutions from all angles of the industry. Today's special guest, Laura Waters Brown, works daily to connect challenges to solutions, building your career around tangible, positive change. A matter of fact, one of the things we spend a lot of time talking about is her commitment to creating change and figuring out who they need to partner with in order to do that. Now, Laura's responsible for the day-to-day relationship development, strategic planning, and project coordination The Collective Think Tank, a global consortium of academics, brands, and properties committed to using research to make sustainable progress for women in sports. Prior to joining Wasserman, Laura was with PGA Tour from 2016 to 2020 and then spent time with the Cleveland Browns. Amazing stories from throughout her journey. We also talk about how to facilitate action, why that is the next step and the true measure of where we are, not just within our business, but as a society. We talk about the power of not caring who gets the credit when you are creating change. And among other things, Laura shares a really funny story with a ton of meaning and value, though, at the same time from her recent trip to Israel and the Leadership Summit. And the story literally is about how you cannot leave the goat behind. So I'm going to get out of the way, let you enjoy this conversation here that I had with Laura Waters-Brown. Laura, thank you so much for joining us today on the Athletics of Business podcast. This has been a long time coming. I am so fired up to have you here.
1: Yes, glad to be here. Thank you so much for having me.
0: You know how much I appreciate you carving out the time. You are, you're so busy. You're going in a hundred different directions yet. You're so dialed in. I absolutely love the work that you do, that you are doing. Obviously, I feel the listener in on the introduction, but walk us through what you're doing now and, and the whole journey to getting to that point.
1: Thank you so much for for having me. You know, right now we're really focusing on action. I think that that is the biggest indicator and what we need as a society right now is we've come through this pandemic or the last few years of a lot of information and people talking and planning and outlining and proposing, and now we need action. And so we are really looking at we have these insights we have these connections we have this amazing community and network at the collective how do we facilitate action in the industry now and how do we encourage others in the industry to do the same how do we remove ourselves from the i think in sports we traditionally like to plan for 3 5 and 10 years in that 3 year can we make a 6 month plan can we do action now so really focusing on making sustainable, significant impact.
0: And don't you find when you break it down and you you break it into bite-sized pieces, and I know it sounds funny that six months is bite-sized pieces, but it it absolutely is. And you get more dialed in and you can see the incremental progress.
1: Yeah. And I think when you're doing this work of equity and inclusion, I think it scares people because Mm -hmm. they see that there's so many wrongs in the world and there's so many situations of inequity. And there's so many situations of just despair that it's almost daunting and terrifying to tackle or to make change because it's like, well, where do I start? When you take a big chunk of despair and you just break it down and what am I doing today? And what am I doing tomorrow? And then what am I doing the next day? Then six months from now, you have six months of days where you have made progress. And so it makes it a little less daunting. And so I think for me, that's kind of how I've, I've had to learn how to approach this. Because just like in sports, if I focus on the full five game or seven game series, I'm not going to be focused on the first game. Right. You got to win the first one. Right. Right. And once and you're talking
0: about, you picture mountain climbing, right? And if you're so focused on the daunting task of summiting, as opposed to what, what your climb is going to be that day, when you have setbacks, it becomes a bit overwhelming, which is an understatement, by the way. But talk about how this breaking things down into six months six month areas of focus or whatever the time frame is how that also helps resilience right your ability to endure setbacks and to kind of have to uh, pivot for for lack of a better word
1: yeah I mean I think you know when you look at things in six month increments or even three month increments whatever works for you to get things done when you do have that setback because they are going to happen you don't feel like you've wasted your entire life. Right. Like we can do six months and we understand that we have three years and five years and 10 years of this industry and career ahead of us. And so when you do it in six months, it's fractions. It's math. Right. Me and math hate love relationship, but I have a calculator, so it's OK. But when you look at six months over a career of 10 years Mm -hmm. and you had a bad six months, you had nine years and six months of great years. When so it allows you to to stay focused and to your point resilient because it's, look, okay, I had a bad six months. I'm going to have a great next six months.
0: And when you identify, here's a timeframe we're dialed into, how do you celebrate those wins or how do you identify the when, when growth is happening or success is happening or you are seeing progress and then being able to stack another uh, success story on top of that? How do you guys go about doing that?
1: I mean, for me personally, that's something I'm still working on. I think as a former athlete, as a um, lifelong competitor, as a Black woman, I think we don't often celebrate those small wins, which we call the small wins, or even the wins at it all. It's just the work has to get done. I am personally actively trying to do better at celebrating the wins and say, no, we made a plan and we did it. Take a moment, let it sink in, feel the emotions, feel the the satisfaction, and then go on to the next one. But I think to disregard an an accomplishment or to not celebrate is doing that accomplishment a disservice. Because you're saying that that work wasn't hard, that that work wasn't valued, that that work wasn't meaningful, Mm -hmm. therefore it shouldn't be celebrated. So I am working to get out of that just go, 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 go. Well, and it's
0: said we're cut from very similar cloths, right? It's about the execution. It's the way things are supposed to be. Like you and I both believe right. in this. It's like, this is how it's supposed to be. True, it is, but yet we still need to take time to pause and recognize what we did. Because like you said, you don't want to devalue what just happened and what was just accomplished. Right. Talk about the work you do though. Let's let's get into the detail of what exactly you folks do.
1: Yeah, so at The Collective, we exist to create equity, fairness, and change for women in sports, music, entertainment in the industry, in the world. Honestly, because sport, music, culture is a fabric of life in general. We do that through insights and actions. We have an amazing community of professors through our uh, think tank that we work with regularly. We also have some great white papers out there based in research. Um, we have an amazing group of folks here also at Wasserman who on a day-to-day basis are always thinking of ways of how can I engage women and how can we do that in an authentic way? And so at The Collective, the great part about the work that we're doing is that it is simply how do we create change and who do we need to partner with to do that? And so it's a very much welcomed opportunity for me because I feel that it removes the ego or who's going to get it first or who's going to do it first or who's going to do it the best. It is who do we need to pull into this conversation to make this thing happen? If gender equity gets solved tomorrow, great. I don't need my name tied to it. I don't need our brand tied to solving gender equity. A success for us is solving gender equity. And if we can play a part in that, then great.
0: It's so powerful when you think about it, too, because if no one cares who gets the credit, the relationships that you develop, the creativity that you tap into, the intangibles that folks will bring into play, talk a little bit about the singleness of purpose that you all share and the power behind that in the collaboration and the work that you do together.
1: Yeah, it's crazy. We were just having this conversation earlier with one of our think tank professors about impact and how we define it and what's rewarded in industry, as well as in academia, and how the reward isn't necessarily given to those making true actual impact. What we like to do from a for a purpose standpoint, and, and to your point about removing who gets the credit, it allows for creativity, it allows for collaboration, open, honest, and authentic collaboration, not mm-hmm. the collaboration where it's like, I'm going to tell you the first three quarters of it, but I'm not going to tell you the actual 25% <laughs> after it because I don't want you to steal my idea. Yeah,
0: we've all been there. It is,
1: right, exactly. Uh, You had an idea, next thing you know, it's a commercial and the MyPillow guy is selling it, right? Like we've all been there. And so when you don't care who gets the credit, everybody brings their authentic self and their authentic ideas and allows us to get to the purpose more efficiently and effectively. And I think just as a human being, it restores a little bit of that humanity in work and humanity in what we do. Um, amen. I mean,
0: humanity, we could use a lot of humanity right now and, and talk about the folks, the type of individuals that you love to collaborate the most, that you like to pull into the think tank, that you like to share ideas with. How would you describe those folks?
1: I love working with people who have a passion and have a drive, who want to solve it, who want to contribute, who say, you know what, I don't really have anything to contribute right now. But when I do have something or I come across something, I want to make an introduction. I want to bring this to the table. We love people with ideas because that means we don't have to think of everything. If you come to us with a great idea or even a rough estimate or rough outline of a concept, of an idea, we can talk through it. Let's talk through it together. Let's work through it. Who else do we need to bring in to brainstorm to figure this thing out? But it all starts with an idea. And then how do we just... Elevate and show, use our platform to take what is already being talked about and just put it on a a bigger platform. But I love working with people with just ideas, unapologetically, just idea.
0: Unapologetically. Now, data. Mm -hmm. How do you use data? You folks have some great research, the trends, everything. How do you take that data and build on that?
1: They'll tell you all the time. At Wasserman, we don't move without research and insights. Especially in this equity space, because it's no longer about feelings and fluffiness and the good, you should do this because it's the right thing to do. That conversation doesn't make things happen all the time. When it gets down to dollars and cents, you have to have the data to back up. Yes, solving for gender equity is the right thing to do. Yes, being fair and being humane is the right thing to do. But Mr. or Mrs. CEO, person who controls the board, here's the data. And here is why it makes good business. And here is why investing in women is good business. And
0: I love, and I took the time and I went through the slide deck on the website. And I love when you talk about the two generations, right? The Gen the Gen Y, the millennials, and what's coming, and their power, mm-hmm. and their decision makers, and, and how things have I absolutely love and being a, a girl dad. Okay. And granted, mm-hmm. she's only 10. I absolutely love that work and how empowering it is. And, and you talk about like on demand, on purpose for her, for all, and for the better. Talk about that Olympics. Mm-hmm. I just think there's so much there.
1: Yeah. Gen Z is such an interesting group of people because by definition, and just by the way the world is going, they are the most diverse group. And they have the most diverse friend group, naturally. They're growing up in diversity. And so when they get to college or even to the workforce, and it doesn't look like their friend group, it's a little, it's like, but but why? And so the Gen Z woman specifically, she wants you to market to her how she wants to be marketed to, where she wants to be marketed to, when she wants to be marketed to. And by the way, you need to make sure you're inclusive of my diverse friend group. And so that means if we have somebody who loves Taekwondo and we have somebody who loves gardening and we have someone that loves yoga and then we have a gamer, you need to talk to each of us in individual ways that makes sense for all of us to attend your event. Go forth and be great, marketer.
0: (laughs) (laughs) How complicated can that be? I mean, how much put, put back for the more senior marketers, right? How do we do that? Like, I get that we need to, but how do we do that?
1: Yeah, I think you have to focus on the common thread, right? Between all of them, which is authenticity and being kind. Gen Z cares about the brands, what organizations, what they're doing to make this world a better place. You can no longer just be sports. You cannot be just a clothing brand. You have to have some type of statement, mission, commitment, work to bettering this world. Because unless you are the only brand organization team to do specifically what you do, Gen Z is going to go and look for the organizations, teams, leagues, brands that align with their moral beliefs. They want who they support to support what they believe in. If a generation cares about sustainability and being green mm-hmm. and you go to um, you get invited by this amazing ad to this amazing event, I might go one time. But mm-hmm. then I find out that there's no recycling bins. Mm-hmm. I don't want to go. I don't want to go because you're not doing anything to curb your footprint. You're not doing anything that aligns with my moral belief. So your competitor, who may be smaller. Same sport, same organization or different organization, but has recycling. Okay,
0: that's amazing. That's the change that is taken no. place.
1: They care. Yeah, they care, and I'm sure you see it with your daughter. They speak up.
0: Mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I see her speaking right? up quite a bit. <laughs>
1: exactly. Why? What do you mean? What do you mean? This yeah. person doesn't get what I get, or right. what do you mean that this person should be, is getting treated? Why? Right. But why? That's not fair, and so I think it's it. They're they are a very savvy, smart, and powerful generation that is curving a lot of things in this world, and in specifically in sports.
0: So let me ask you this: as we transition, I want to before we go back into your journey, reverse engineer because it's so fascinating. There's a sign here uh, on the wall that you can't see. It's self awareness is the competitive advantage. Which awareness, self awareness, and what you do is so significant. And you started off. You know our conversation by talking about inaction, like you're focused on action. What is it when people say, yeah, I get it. We need to do this. We should be doing this. We could be doing this, but then they don't. What are some mm-hmm. of the big pushbacks that you have seen or the big distractions or the big obstacles?
1: Oh, that's a great question. I think some of the pushback that I've seen is, well, we don't know where to find them. We don't know how to communicate to them. Um, We don't have a plan in place. We don't have an investment. We don't have the bandwidth. And to all of those, I say, if you're selling the naming rights on your venue, you just got a valuation. You're going to do the research and invest in whatever it is to make sure you sell that adequately. Mm -hmm. And it's the same thing with change is this needs to happen And so we need people to do the things that they need and give it the same amount of attention to take action. There are so many organizations and groups out there to say that we don't know where they are. We don't know how to speak to them. It's the age of the internet. We are in the year 2022. You can find somebody who is an expert in that space. All it takes for you is to say, hey, I want to invest in you because I don't know what I'm doing. And to your point, the self awareness is: I have the self awareness to know I have no clue what I'm doing. Right. I need help. Amen. Right. That's all it takes.
0: If I were to ask you 20 years ago, is this what you're going to be doing? You know, as you mm-hmm. progress to this point of your career, could you have ever fathomed that this is where you would be? No.
1: <laughs> no. I wanted to be a doctor. I wanted to be an orthopedic surgeon. No. Yeah. No. When did that change? After organic chemistry in undergrad, and I was like, I studied so hard so hard. And I got like a B and I was like, okay, so this is the beginning chemistry to all the other science classes I'm going to take. There's no way I can do this. There's no way. So I switched majors and I was like, I just want to coach. I don't, do I really want to be an orthopedic surgeon? Mm -hmm. Mm, Not really. It'd be nice, but you know, not really. And so my brain went to, okay, well I'll just coach. Mm -hmm. And I said, I'm going to get my degree in education and then I'm going to coach. He had to volunteer in like this. There's a school on campus, an elementary school. And I quickly found that that was not for me. We do not pay our teachers enough because I do not have uh, that gift um, of patience. Um, And so for me, it was switching that again. I was like, okay, now I'm not going to teach. So what am I going to do? And so then I ended up in the business school because I needed to graduate at some point because in college, if you're an athlete, you have to pass so many classes towards your major, blah, blah, blah. So I switched to business because that's where my previous classes could transfer over pretty easily. Got to business school and I was like, these are not my people. Econ, nope, Mm -hmm. not it. Accounting, I have no clue what you're talking about, sir. Mm -hmm. I can remember to this day like the anger I had because I had I was forced to wear like a black suit every Wednesday to the seminar to listen to the person who I had absolutely nothing in common with and did absolutely nothing that I was interested in or wanted to do. I was like I'm doomed. I'm never going to have a job. I'm going to live with my parents forever. The world is ending. And I found my way to marketing. I took a class I started my general marketing class where we started talking about colors and the psychology behind colors Mm -hmm. and how they make you feel and what that feeling caused you to do. And I got really interested in. "Hmm." So if I can put this in a specific color that makes you feel happy around the same time, you know, you're hungry and that's the same color as my brand. Maybe you're more inclined to go eat at my restaurant. And the rest is history.
0: As you're a college athlete, as you're stumbling through what you're trying to figure out, how did you manage that? How did you manage that anxiety? How did you manage those challenges? Because that for a young woman or a young man, I mean, that's just, that's not easy to do.
1: Uh, you know, I'm still trying to figure out how I did it. I think for me, it was the benefit of ignorance and didn't know any other way of life other than being an athlete. I've been an athlete since I was three, probably before then. I've had a ball in my hand since I came out of the womb. I didn't know any other way. So for me, waking up at three in the morning to make a 5 a.m. practice was normal. And being busy was normal. Even to this day, I have difficulties not doing anything, sitting down and just sitting there. I'm working on it. But for me, it was I just didn't I didn't know any other way. I didn't know what it meant to relax or to recharge or reset. To me, relaxing and recharging was naps in between class, right before practice. Those
0: were the oh, best. those five minutes. Just give me five. What? Five. 10 That's minutes. It? That's it. That's all I need. Look, I, you
1: know? I'm in the corner on the in the, <laughs> the training room, <laughs> like on the table. Uh-huh. Let me get one of those heating pads. Five minutes. That's and all
0: need. Oh, the heating pad, and do not interrupt me because you know. Do not. Got give three me five minutes. minutes, minutes. Yeah.
1: that's it. Don't ask me a question. You know, I have five minutes.
0: So you, you discover <laughs> marketing in your undergrad. I know there had to be some people that impacted you along the way. Some mentors that helped kind of point you in the direction of what you were going to do, or maybe you should think about this path. Can you talk a little bit about that, how they showed up for you?
1: Yeah. So a big part of it is, and I'm never going to tell my mom this, but a part of it was her. She actually was able to finagle or strongly suggest that I take this internship at Ohio State in the athletic department. And all I heard was, I'm going to get paid some money, and then I don't have to live at home. So I was like, why not? And so when I graduated college, you know, was able to work at Ohio State for a few years. I had my first amazing boss, Diana Sabo, who on my first day showed up, she had purple hair. And I just thought that was the coolest thing. I'm like, you're yeah. you're an athletic director, and you have you have purple hair.
0: A little bit different so than the last... black suit you had to wear back in college, right, for the lecture.
1: Um, my mind was blown, right? Because I had just come out of a, a school that said if I didn't wear a pastel shirt and a knee length black suit skirt suit, I wasn't going to be successful in business. And she gave me the grace, leeway, and opportunity to learn to share my ideas to try my ideas to fail, and really got me going on, oh, there's more to sports than just being on the field. Because that transition between college athlete and real life, they should write a book on that. There should be a transition period because that was, that was very difficult. And so at Ohio State, Diana, and I had some amazing supervisors who I still talk to this day, Gary, Aaron, and Beth, They all helped me to just kind of hone in on my wild ideas. Can I get, like, challenge me. Can you get a thousand people to a women's soccer match on Saturday at 1 p.m. with a hundred dollar budget? I bet you I can free ice cream for the first 150 people. Let's go. They really helped to kind of kick things off. And then Gene Smith, who's an athletic director. I'm sure no one knows who that is. But Gene actually, in my second year, asked me, we were in the elevator and he said, what are you doing next year? And I was like, I am I was going to be here interning. I figured I didn't really think that far. And he was like, wrong answer. Uh, you're going to go back to school. And I was, I was very much of the opinion, no, I was not. I did not. I had no desire to go back to school. But he said, you're going back to school. And you have a meeting with this man named Bruce Wimbish. And I'm like, who is Bruce? I don't know who Bruce is. Set me up with Bruce. Bruce Wimbish knew Jim Kaler, who was uh, just, he just left Ohio University, but at the time was executive director of Ohio University sports administration program. I was like, I don't don't want to go. I was telling all these people, I don't want to go. And I put up these personal barriers or hurdles Mm -hmm. of like, I don't want to take the GMAT. That barrier was removed. I don't have money to study for the GMAT. That barrier was removed. Mm-hmm. Then I get to OU and I learned that they have a, they had only two two spots open for that fall. And I'm like, well, I'm not. If I'm not, I'm not being deferred. I am not going on another year and then coming back to school a whole year later. I'm not doing that. Got in, and I was like, Ugh, so now I have to go. For me, it was a bunch of people who heard me complaining and didn't care. And I said, This is what you're going to do. And I said, Okay, I guess I'm going to Ohio University. And it was an amazing decision. I think I met some amazing people, some of my best friends in the program. And to me, I was able to get the MBA and the MSA, which was efficient in my mind. But I had no clue. I had no clue. I didn't, I'm from Ohio. I had no clue what Athens was. My mom went to Ohio University for undergrad. No clue. I had no clue.
0: So then you go out into the beautiful real world. How did you find, I don't want to use the word niche, but how did you find your groove? Like how did you find the digital space and what you all of a sudden started to fall in love with?
1: One class changed my trajectory. Second year, I had no clue what I wanted to do. I knew what I didn't want to do. I didn't want to do what everybody else wanted to do. And we had this opportunity to take this class called Content is King. It was an elective and they only had like seven spots. And I was like, I'm going to take it. I'm interested. I took that class and was introduced to blogging and the idea of like a WordPress site and the internet and search engine optimization and how things work and how the internet is listening and how you can use it to market, to sell, to do all these things. And I was hooked. I was like, oh, this is, this is interesting. So you're telling me all of the other stuff that I learned in these classes that didn't make sense to me all of a sudden made sense in this context of digital. From there, I had a lot of people who were willing to bet on me, who allowed me to finagle my ideas into something that seemed to work and seemed to happen, was able to learn and kind of uh, self-teach and see what other people were doing. And YouTube University, huge fan of the YouTube University and put in pressure situations. Again, being an athlete, you just have to do it. Coach doesn't care how long it takes for you to make your mile time. You just have to do it. Um, And so I had a lot of those opportunities early to just figure it out.
0: Speaking of pressure situations, let's talk about your time with the Cleveland Browns. Yeah.
1: (laughs) It was great. Three years, three years, three seasons, three years, I think. Amazing human beings. Some of the hardest working people that I know. Three coaches. Four coaches, I think four head coaches in my state. There was one since you were there. Yeah. I think it was four because one was on the way out and then we hired and then we hired and then we hired. And then Coach Hugh was my last coach when I was leaving. But so many opportunities at that point in time, social media marketing management wasn't really a thing. We were still in like this web 1.0, 1.5 space. And so I was on the cusp of Web 2.0, which is the, bird, the, the growth of the social media networks and what that is. And so through testing and learning and YouTube University and talking to my colleagues at other organizations, other NFL teams, we were able to create brand on the internet and through social media, made a couple of not so great tweets uh, at the time uh, that had to get taken down. Mm-hmm. But... I think there's, again, pressure situations. There is no more pressure than on draft night and you have to announce your pick and you have you have one chance. You have one chance because as soon as you put it out there, it's out there and somebody's got a screenshot of it and if you mess it up, the world knows. Spell checking because Browns fans are the most passionate and they're either passionately loving you or passionately <laughs> hating you. And either way, they are amazing. And if you missed a period, you're a twelve-year-old boy who doesn't who hasn't graduated first grade, oh. and I'm like, there's only 140 characters. The period had to go. I didn't have space. Oh. <laughs> but I mean, the bronze are amazing. I, I I learned a lot.
0: What was your um, big takeaway from that? I was just going to ask you that. I know you learned a lot. What was your big takeaway from your time in Cleveland, and how did you leverage that or apply that when mm-hmm. you got to the PGA Tour?
1: Grit. Anything is possible if you just try. At the Browns, I had to very quickly learn how to build a website. I had to learn how to build an email. and at that at that time, there weren't a lot of the the canva didn't exist. So there was no dragging and dropping. You had to code these bad boys uh, and you had to you know build these things out and wireframe and color coordinate and work with the creative team. And then I started to get into the because I was I was learning the business and, and how things operate and working with the sales team, and the partnership team to make my life easier um, was also an amazing opportunity because it was the you know, I, I feel like there's this loving communication between the digital team and the partnership team, especially at that time, because the partnership team is selling and they're just selling and they go and sell. And then they tell you, oh, by the way, we need an extra 100,000 impressions uh, in this 48-hour span. That's great. I love that for you. But our website does not have that capacity. So we can't deliver. So how about we work together to figure out what we do have and what we can sell? And so that was my practical introduction into generating revenue through digital. Because it's okay, how do we, we've created this amazing content and we know that this is going to do great and we know this is not going to do great, but this really aligns with the brand you're trying to pitch. So rather than you just creating something that is horrendous and is going to kill our social media following and it's going to get me yelled at by the amazing, passionate Browns fans, right. let's work together because I can tell you what works over here and you can tell me what the brand is looking for in the conversations. And if you have no clue what SEO is, just bring me along. I'm happy to sit in the room and have conversations. And so now I'm able to, I'm learning how partnership conversations work and how they're pitching and what a pitch deck looks like and what to say, what not to say, how Mm -hmm. to communicate, um, quote unquote, translate the digital world into business and how to break that down into dollars and cents. And so that really positioned me to go to the tour to try new things, asking for a little bit of money. And I'm like, look, just... I read the Facebook rules. I took the classes. I'm low-key certified. I understand how this works. Trust me. I can sell tickets on Facebook. Trust me. And then being able to deliver on that and saying, okay, look, understanding how the algorithms work great, but also understanding that these social networks are business. And anytime you give money to a business, they tend to show favor on you. So if I have a, if you've sold a piece of content that is going to tank our following or our engagement rates on social, we need to put some money behind it. We need to tell, insert social network here, like, hey, we understand this isn't the best type of content, but we're going to give you some money. So if you could please just not ding us for that, that would be great. Let me
0: ask you this. When you went, you went from two different worlds with Cleveland Browns to the PGA Tour. When you get to the PGA Tour and you're communicating these things that are new to them, how big of a sell, how tough was that challenge and how did you go about overcoming that in terms of showing them that it will work? Like, trust me, where did that trust come mm-hmm. from and how did you get that accomplished?
1: Yeah, fortunately, I just had two people, maybe one person to really convince mm-hmm. um, because I was working specifically for one tournament. And so that allowed me a little more leeway to just say, like, just let's just test it out. Um, but I also had an amazing ally. Uh, who was a former OU grad who actually called me and was like, you should take this job because I think you would kill at it. And I'm like, who is Panavidra? What is that? I don't even know who that is. And so he was doing the same thing, but at the tour level. Okay. And so we were able to bounce ideas off of each other. And then I, I think, because I wasn't in those meetings, but I think as as meetings happened and conversations were had, that these keywords and buzzwords that I was mentioning were starting to pop up. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, why not? Let's give it a try. Um, And so again, just people willing to take a chance on me. I think uh, one of the things that I've learned over the years is how to communicate and listen and how to really get to the, what are you scared of? Like what's the worst that can happen, but what's the best that could happen. And let's work through that together and walking through and explaining each and every step. I have one, uh, one of my uh, bosses at, the tour would always say, look, if I can't explain it to my non-phone, cell phone having grandparent, then I don't understand it. It was taking that and saying, okay, what don't you understand? How can I communicate this to you in a way that you understand? Um, because if you understand it, then you're going to let me do it. It
0: sounds really simple, doesn't it? And when you really think about it, we overcomplicate things on a daily basis.
1: I think we do. I, it, it really is just asking people, like, what scares you about this? What don't you understand? And what are your thoughts?
0: When you say, hey, listen, here's what makes me nervous. Here's what scares me. Here's what I don't know. I mean, that's where the mm-hmm. communication and collaboration and relationship building really comes from.
1: It does. And to be able to do that in a safe space is very unique and something that over the years I've learned to be as as you look for you know, the next job or the next career, the next whatever. It's more than just the salary. It's more than the benefits, but it's, is this going to be an authentic space or safe space for my ideas? They're not only welcomed, they're encouraged, uh, but they're also supported. That's a big part. You
0: no, know, I love that. You talk about a safe space and we talk a lot about here, safe does not mean soft, right? It's, quite the, oppo- it's quite the opposite. What mm-hmm. do you do to create a psychologically safe environment where people aren't afraid to share, where they're not afraid to take risks, we're not afraid to throw their ideas out mm-hmm. there?
1: I would have to say for me, I think that I try really, really hard to look inward and see where my faults are and see, you know, where are the areas along my career path where I would, I just wish it was handled different. Mm. I try to do the opposite. It's very much just asking and probing and and reassuring and truly getting to know the people that I work with and what fuels them. It's the we talked about this and we were figuring out where Israel was going to pop in. So I just got back from Israel on this amazing <laughs> leadership trip. Shout out to reality, Israel. Yes. Amazing. Yes. <laughs> and the first thing we did, we got off the bus, off of the airplane. We get on this bus and we're driving in the desert and we go to this uh, park and we get on this park and it's great. And next thing I know, we see sheeps and goats <laughs> and we are being challenged to move the sheeps to herd them from one place right. to the next and back. Three groups, group one goes, they get the sheep and goats you know, partial way. And then you you see what they did and you see what they did wrong or what you think is could be done better. And you see their approach and you're like, oh, okay, well, they did this, it didn't work. So let's not even, let's cross that off our list. And then you get to see group two go. And it's the same thing. And they've moved the sheep and the goat a little bit, but they left a goat behind. So we need to not do what they did. And you don't want to leave a goat, goat, behind. You leave a goat behind. You can't leave a goat behind. You can't leave a goat behind because if you leave a goat behind, you didn't do the exercise. And so we were, fortunately, we were the third group and we were able to go and say, okay, we need some people to contain these sheep and goat where they are. And we need some people to go and tend to this goat's needs. And so we were able to get the goats and the sheep over and we finished the exercise. And we come back to reflect. And the lesson in that, as we were discussing this servant leadership style was that in this community of sheep, sheep and goats, everyone needed something different, and everyone was motivated by something different. We had some goats that were motivated by hay. We had some that could care less and just needed, literally needed you to touch them and move them the way that, that they needed to go. Mm-hmm. But then you had the sheep who, once you got the goats going, the sheep followed the goat. But then within the goats, there was like- the leader goat. And so if you leave the leader goat up on top of the hay bale and disregard him, the other goats are going to look at you like, Oh, you're not, I can't trust you. But once we got the leader goat,
0: Did they tell you any of this or did you have to figure this out?
1: These are conversations happening in my head. (laughs) And then we all as a group were able to discuss it afterwards. And all of these things started to come up and it's like, So cool mind-blowing yeah. i'm like this is day one
0: yeah. this is
1: day one we it, were it was for, our like, one what are you days. talking about
0: day one it was like hour one
1: it was, it was i went my mind was blown yeah. i was we were all like wow okay so we did a lesson in servant leadership and and how to lead because literally we were talking about leading from behind and so we and it's like pushing them towards the one way but allowing them to go they all of them went some of them went kind of as a herd but then there would be like one or two over here doing their own thing but they eventually got there you just had to motivate them Mm -hmm. differently and then full circle on our last day we're driving to the airport on a freeway Mm -hmm. and cars are zipping past we literally go past a man who is herding sheep on the freeway and my guy is in the front just walking cool as a cucumber just walking and these sheep are following him on a freeway. And I'm like, the amount of trust that those sheep have in this person, yeah. the, the amount of support, the amount of belief and encouragement, they, like yeah. Yeah. we're going to walk on the side of this freeway. Mm-hmm. Don't know where we're going, but we're going to follow you. So come on. Tell
0: our listener a little bit about the trip to Israel and what you were there and what you were doing and, and really the big takeaways. Yeah. Besides, don't Honestly, leave the goat on top of the hay bale, which I would have okay, loved to eat, see. Okay, don't leave the goat. Yeah.
1: We tried everything. Our group was like, oh, we just need to feed them. So we showed up with like a think bar. They didn't care. Oh. And before was said, we asked, we were like, can they eat chocolate? And the people were like, yeah, they eat whatever. They didn't play, They didn't care about the think bar. What we thought they wanted, they didn't want. Right. They didn't even touch it. But the trip was amazing. It was eight days, 10 total days, including travel. Uh, We went all around Israel. We learned a lot about what is Israel, what is not Israel, how the borders are all ambiguous. And so when you have ambiguity, it creates conflict. But then we also heard from Palestinians and we heard their version of the same exact thing. And in through all of that, we were able to experience this this historical place with people who you didn't know. Um, You were with them from 8 a.m., 7.30, 7.30, if you got breakfast, 7.30 a.m. through about midnight, 1 a.m. every single day, straight. And it's nothing but conversations and nothing but learning about other people and what makes them tick. We had a, uh, a guy on there who is um, indigenous and he's talking about his experience and he's experiencing this historical place as an indigenous person. Um, we had people from all types of walks of life, from all across the industry experiencing and connecting and like opening up to complete strangers. It was the most amazing thing. And a few weeks later, I'm still trying to put into words what happened on that trip. But what I can say is that it made me better, I think, as a leader, because it opened up a space in me for vulnerability that I didn't know that I had access to. I think it opened up a space for me to realize that my words do in fact actually matter and that I can encourage other people. And they tell you your words matter and you know what you say encourages others and so on and so forth. But until you actually experience that in a foreign land, in a foreign culture, um, in a historical place, on a historical day, like it was a cluster of emotions. Um, You got to see people who were willing to stand on the edge of a crater. The wind comes a little too hard and you're gone, 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 gone. But then you got to see people who were terrified and literally crawled up to the edge. You got to see people comforting people, like protecting people who felt like I'm in a space where I'm uncomfortable. I need your help. Like, can you make sure I'm okay? Mm -hmm. So. It was an amazing experience. I can't wait till I have my list of people that I'm recommending to go on for next year. I think especially in sport, we actually saw a um, young boy, Palestinian boy, who is like their version of the next Michael Phelps. He's like 10, 12, and he is beating beating the bricks off everybody. But because of how things are set up, he's not able to access an Olympic-sized swimming pool to train on a regular basis. And it's like, there's one on the other side of the wall. Because that night, we went and had an amazing dinner. I get this. The most beautiful YMCA I've ever seen in my entire life. Let that sink in. Yeah. Marble floors. Marble uh-huh. buildings. Are you kidding me? Like lit. No. Wow. Well lit. Yeah. We walked in and, and we all said, we're going to dinner at YMCA. Like, we've been dining amazing. And we're going to a YMCA. I'm expecting picnic tables. Uh-huh. No. There was wine. There was like five star. It was the most beautiful YMCA I've it's ever seen. Cultures. Yeah different culture. But this this young boy who has the talent can't get access to that facility because of a physical wall. We all are like, okay, well, how much does it cost for you to train? Because he has to go to a private club for the year, $1,800 for the year. And back in the States in sports, $1,800 is a round, a clerical error in a budget. And so just put everything into perspective about This person, this young person has an opportunity, a way out, a a gift to give to this place and isn't being fostered. That talent isn't being poured into like it could be because of adults and adults, just adults being adults. And so I came back, I think, with more questions than I left with, which I'm still like.
0: That's powerful, though, isn't it?
1: So powerful. I'm like, but why? Why? And so hearing it from everybody's side is so interesting.
0: I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Here's the thing too, right? You just talked about physical walls that this boy can't train here. There's these physical walls that we adults have put physical up. Physical wall. Which yes. is literally though, now we're not putting physical walls up, but we put these virtual walls up in our world mm-hmm. in terms of collaborating, in terms of creativity, in terms of making spaces psychologically safe. Why do you think mm-hmm. that is? Like, what is it? Why don't we take more action? Why don't we be the agents of change when we know we're perfectly capable of
1: it? Fear. I think it comes down to fear. I think you fear the unknown. You fear your place in society, your place in life. If I do this for this person, I get less of that. Versus thinking, if I give this person Mm -hmm. this, then we all can have more. And so when we as adults look at things from a space of giving to you means taking away from me, it's scary. And when you throw in, you have a family to support. Yeah, people depending on you. It makes it a little bit tougher to do the equitable thing mm. or the right thing because the equitable thing doesn't always make you money. And we live in a society where you are uh, awarded with bonuses mm. based on how much money you make for a company. Doing equitable work, doing equity work isn't always going to make you money now. So it doesn't benefit me today, but it does benefit the greater world. It does benefit the little boy, the little Palestinian boy who can't, who can, would whoop, certainly whoop my tail because, but could compete at the Olympics before he's an adult if he had the facilities. And there's a state of the art facility on the other side that he could go to. But $1,800 is separating him from consistent, like, it's just, it's so many questions. So many things. So I think people have to remove the fear factor and remove the me, how this affects me and look at it as how does this make everybody else better? Like, how can we all grow together rather than me finishing first?
0: Well, and that's why you are who you are. That's why I've had the amazing journey you've had and you have such an impact on so many people, which I appreciate you carving out the time, as I said before, to to join us today. It's pretty amazing the work that you folks are doing. And I have a feeling you're really just getting started. I mean, I think there's some great stuff that lies ahead.
1: Yeah, I I would love to come back and have, we have some things cooking right now. Mm. I would love to come back in a year to talk about the things that we were cooking right now. I will send can I send a Zoom
0: invite for a year out? If I can send a Zoom invite for a year out, I am sending you a Zoom. Yes. All right.
1: Send me a Zoom invite for one year from today. Okay. And put in there like to talk about the thing.
0: Okay. The I'm excited. I'm writing that the down. Thing. The the thing. Hey, the thing. Laura, I appreciate it so much. I appreciate you. Where can folks find out more about you, about what you're doing, where you're at, in social media, things of that nature?
1: Yeah. So on Instagram, because uh, i recently made that public, I'm trying to be better now. On Instagram, you can find me at sixty seven living legend. Uh, if you want to know why that's my my name, I'll tell you. Uh, just shoot me a DM uh, at lwb twenty one on Twitter, and then. Obviously, we are the collective.com and uh, Wasserman Collective on Instagram and Twitter.
0: Thank you for all the amazing work you do. And do I need to shoot you a DM to find out? You
1: need to shoot me a DM. I can't right. share it with the, with the world. It's secret. Okay. Hey, Laura, thank you so much. I appreciate you. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Thank you for listening to The Athletics of Business. Be sure to give us a rating and review so we know how we're doing. For more information about the show, visit theathleticsofbusiness.com. Now, get out there, think, act, and execute at the highest level to unleash your greatness.